Folks, if you have your Bibles open there in front of you, um, on page 1029, Luke chapter 2, the last chunk of that uh, chapter, that's where we're going to focus today. It'll be a, a pretty straightforward look at that passage. If you're a, a guest with us, by the way, there are Bibles in the pews. If there's one near you, you're very welcome to grab one. Turn to page 1029 and... Uh, It might help you follow um, as I speak for a few moments. I love this story in the Bible. I mean, any story where parents lose their kids is one that I immediately identify with. Um, It sounds like a parenting style that I'm quite comfortable with and and au fait with. Uh, This would happen to me on a regular basis. I've never lost my children for three days. So I, I think I'm doing better than Mary and Joseph. And, you know, if, if any of us lose our kids for a few hours, that's, that's not great, but, but they lost God. So Mary and Joseph, this story, I like this story. It makes me feel better about, about who I am and, and how I look after our kids. Before we charge into this fascinating wee incident I want to take just a second to remember how it fits into Luke's gospel so far. So in chapter 1, Luke tells us about four uh, different incidents in the life of Jesus. Well, actually preceding uh, Jesus, incidents preceding his birth. And now in chapter 3, he's telling us about three different incidents to do with his birth, um, very earliest days, and now early childhood. First story in Verses 1 to 20 is that story of his birth and the news going out to the shepherds on the hillside. The second story, which Sam looked at us at with us a couple of weeks ago, uh, tells uh, a story when Jesus is only six weeks old and he goes to the temple and there meets Simeon and Anna. And we're coming now to this third story. Describes a 12-year-old Jesus and his family and their trip to the Passover. It's not a complicated story. It's not going to take me a whole lot of time to explain it. But I do want to point out a couple of things before we ask the question, well, what might this have to say to us? Throughout the passage, it it looks like it's about a visit to the temple. Uh, But as I had a a look at it and I studied it, I, I see that the visit to the temple, the family visit to the temple, isn't the main thing. The sentence that's translated for us in the English, verses 42 and 43, has a few verbs in it, but it's very clear in the original that the main verb is the last one. So what Luke's really saying is something like this. When he was 12, and they had gone up, and when the feast had ended, and they were returning, Jesus stayed behind. That's where the action is. It's this choice that Jesus Christ makes to stay behind. That's where Luke has the stress. So Luke tells us here in chapter 2 of his gospel three stories. And he draws our attention in each of these stories to to a saying, something important that somebody's saying. So in the first story, it's what the angels say to the shepherds. In the second story, it's, it's the old man Simeon's prophecy. And in the third story, here today, it's what Jesus says. Didn't you know 
I had to be in my father's house. If you were using a, a Bible with the words of Jesus in red, you'd see that these are the first words of Jesus in Luke's gospel. They're the only words of Jesus that we have uh, of Jesus as a kid. I want to spend just a few moments thinking about what Jesus was actually saying before we then ask again the question, what, what does this mean for us? Jesus told his mom that he had to be in his father's house. So he's talking about the temple. And everybody knew whose house the temple is. Well, the temple is the house of God. So Jesus was saying that God was his father. In one sense, that wasn't an unusual thing to say because Jewish people of that time as a, as a nation would have talked about God as their father. So Isaiah 63, we have the people saying, you, O Lord, are our father. But it's clear when you read a passage like this, and particularly when you go further into the Gospels, that Jesus had more than a general kind of a view as God, of God as his father. He's saying something different, something deeper and much further reaching about his relationship with God. He has an intimate relationship with God. He calls God Abba, Daddy. And before long, he's going to introduce his disciples, his friends, to God in those same terms. So the young man, Jesus, tells us that God is his father, but also that it should be no surprise that he wants to be in his father's house. When I was a kid and I first came across this verse, it was in the old King James Version, because I, I thought about this story and I thought, does it not read differently? In the old King James, it said, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? So which is it? Is he to be in his father's house or about his father's business? It's the same thing. I want to be where my dad is and I want to be doing the stuff that he does. Same thing. That's who I am. That's the place you should expect to find me. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking uh, together as two interested parties at this wee incident. So first we're going to ask a question. What might this have to say to parents and grown-ups? That covers a lot of us. But then we're going to also take a few minutes to think about what might this say to, to some of the younger guys in the... I'm just looking at our breakfast club upstairs somewhere. Yeah, wee bit of a wave there. Thank you guys. And Bible class, or the, our Bible class in somewhere. I see, see some Bible class guys here. Um, great. So we're going to talk to grown-ups for a few moments and we'll allow the younger guys to listen in, so long as the younger guys don't mind the grown-ups listening in uh, later on. Okay, first of all, a word for parents, grown-ups. Anyone charged with the responsibility of guiding younger people through their adolescent years, what does this short story, if anything, have to teach us? Well, just a couple of quite straightforward things. A faithful family here. Mary and Joseph take their kids, it says every year, it's 100 miles to go to the temple, roundabout, 200 mile round trip, probably on foot. They're a faithful family. 
Nothing is going to get in the stop of them getting in the, sorry, in the way. Nothing's going to stop them from worshiping um, God. They're, they're like the other characters. Remember we noticed this? These, early, these characters in the early chapters of Luke's gospel, their appetite for God, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Anna and Simeon. There seems to be this, this hunger, this appetite. Well, Mary and Joseph, they're the same. They'll go a long way to, to go and to be at worship. This is their story. It's the kind of family that they want to be. Notice a second thing. So with a, a faithful family, but with an awesome son, notice how great their son is. Verse 47. As soon as Luke puts her minds to easy, he clears up that thing about Jesus being lost, and he lets us know it's okay. He's found. There he is. It, it's all okay. Then he gives us a bit of an insight into how people see this 12-year-old. He's in the temple. He's having a residential Bible school with, with some of the teachers there. And Luke tells us that everyone was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Mary and Joseph, it seems, weren't quite ready for this. Uh, so we're told in verse 48 that they were astonished uh, as well as what was going on. Although they brought up this wee lad, although they'd shared life with him for 12 years and they'd watched his development, they weren't quite keeping up with where he was at. He was away running ahead of them. Isn't this one of the great parts of being a parent? Or a grown-up, anyone who's got younger people around them? Those moments when they outrun you We've tricked ourselves. We tell ourselves that we're always looking over our shoulders trying to drag them along. But it's not true. There are times when they're outrunning us. I had, a, I had an experience of this yesterday. Um, we have started to dabble in the park run. So I took Ruby, our youngest, who's eight years old. Um, and I thought we might do half the park run, one lap, two and a half kilometers. So we set off. We weren't 200 yards into the race when she, before she turned over. Hurry up, Daddy. We can go faster. It's, it's this way sometimes with our kids, and I don't think we always see it. When I allow myself time to notice it, my kids are a huge vehicle of God's grace and his learning and his stretching in my life. I'm thinking of one of my kids who's, who's very young but already has incredible insight. So when I read a Bible story uh, with them and I ask a question, the answer comes back. I'm thinking, well, I didn't get that when I was your age. I didn't understand the Bible that way, but you're seeing it. I'm thinking of another one of my kids who would raid the money box at any opportunity to buy presents for friends. The stuff that I have isn't really mine. It seems to be the... It's just it's for doing nice stuff for other people. I'm thinking of another one of my kids. So this week, it's been... I don't know about you. I found that start of the week back to porridge in the rain. Just wick. Got up one morning and one of the kids was up reading their Bible, reading their notes, cracking on. I thought, goodness. Why... Why do I imagine that I'm always spurring them on? 
when, when God's using them so much to be an encouragement in my life. Whether you're a parent of children or whether you're a grown-up in the company of younger people, I'd encourage you not to miss this. Don't be fooled by the cultural narrative that teenagers in particular are bad news and that it's our job to tolerate them and somehow get through those years. I don't believe that's true. I expect there will be a time of significant and unique challenges, but if I keep my eyes open, a time when these young people will be a huge vehicle of God's grace in my life. If we'll allow God to use them, I believe our young people will bring new life and encouragement to us, to our depressed and often flagging middle-aged souls. Don't let's miss this. We need this. One last thing for parents. Did you notice the argument or the tiff or the... The wing-ding in the passage, verses 48 to 50. It's pretty familiar territory. A 12-year-old arguing with their parents. Eh? Nothing new under the sun. Mary's upset with Jesus. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So in Mary's eyes, Jesus has been disobedient and he's been inconsiderate. And I think we recognize that as parents of growing kids. It's not just that they don't do what we say, it's, it's they don't think about the impact of their actions. So Mary's doing that. Jesus, you haven't obeyed us, you've been inconsiderate. He hadn't honored her authority as a parent. Without their knowledge and against their will, he'd stayed on in the temple. We need to slow down for a second here. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Jesus, falling out with his parents, If the only issue in the life of a growing kid and their parents is one of authority and obedience, if that's the only issue, then this story ends here. Because Jesus Christ has, on those terms, been been disobedient. If the only thing that we can say about biblical parenting is spare the rod, spoil the child, then, then Joseph needs to pull the belt out of his robe and give Jesus a good thrashing there in front of the rabbis and drag him by the ear back up to Galilee. If that's all that's going on, then this is how this story needs to end. But it's not all that's going on, and Luke shows us that in his gospel. He continues now with Jesus' words in response to his mum. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Why, in other words, are you trying to take control of every move I make? That was all right when I was small. But I'm not small anymore. I'm no longer a child that you have to watch my every step. I have and will increasingly have a life apart from you. My relationship with God's going to take me to places beyond where you will take me. 
I'm going to be moving beyond the realms of your expectations. There are requirements in my life that are different than the ones that you put on me. There's more to my life than just doing what you say. I'm beginning to feel additional obligations. There's more to this world than my home and worship in Nazareth. I'm beginning to live in a bigger place. I'm beginning to live in my father's house. I came to the temple in obedience to you. That obedience is going to have to outgrow you finally and move beyond you. By the way, in case what I've just said there has unsettled, you notice how the passage finishes right down at the bottom. It talks us about Jesus going home to Nazareth obedient to his parents. This isn't about Jesus being a disobedient child. This is about a pivotal moment when something new is starting to happen in this growing young man. For me, in my twin roles as both a parent and and as a pastor uh, to younger people, this has given me a whole lot to think about. I need to be ready to release my children into their relationship with God. When that moment comes and as it comes, I want to be ready to step aside when it's the right time. We're going to take a break just there and sing a song together. We'll keep our seats and the stewards will lift the offering. We're going to sing the song, Jesus, We Enthrone You. The stewards will lift the offering and after that we'll come back for a few moments to think about what this passage might have to say to to younger people. Last few moments uh, to, to our younger people. Uh, to, we've already said we don't mind if the grown-ups listen in it. In fact, it'll give a good topic for lunchtime conversation. Um, conversation, do people know what that is? Yeah? It's where one person says something and then the other person listens and says stuff back. It's what we did before we had tablets and phones. Um, Worth experimenting with if you're uh, a wee bit short of something to do on a Sunday afternoon. Um, We've already said that Jesus chose to stay behind, to, to take it on himself, to be in the temple. That's the big deal in this story. That's where the action is. And he stays behind to do what? Well, verse 46, we're told. He sits among the teachers. He listens to what they're saying. He asks questions of his own. And he must have been saying stuff too, contributing, because verse 47, we're told that everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus wanted to be in his father's house chatting with anyone who could help him know more about God. I'm asking now the young guys, what do you make of that? Maybe you say to yourself, well, that's all right, because Jesus is is God. Of course he's into that. He's not exactly a normal 12-year-old. There's nothing 
for a normal 12-year-old like me to learn from this story? Well, if, if you said that, I'd, I'd say, listen, I agree with you to a point. Jesus isn't ordinary. Jesus is God among us. He's God the Son learning to relate to his Father. But if you said there was nothing to learn in this story, I, I, I would say, wait a minute, and I'd push back on that. Because as well as believing that Jesus is God, we believe that Jesus is a human being. He's a 12-year-old trying to learn to live the 12-year-old life that he's been called to. Jesus Christ is the perfect human being. He is our model at every stage in his life. He is our hero, the one whom we follow. So rather than saying, there's nothing I can learn here, let's have a look and see what we could learn if we paid attention to Jesus. I think this story tells us, um, if I use the kind of language that, that you guys might be more comfortable with, I think it shows us that Jesus is into God. Is that okay? Say that doesn't, it's not kind of churchy minister language, but that's, it'll do for today. Jesus is into God. He chooses to be in the place where God is, to, to learn about him and to get to know him better. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that's unusual. For a 12-year-old to be into God. Or for a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, whatever age you happen to be at just now. I know people in their teens who are into God. Who are passionate to get to know God. How do I know that they exist? Well, because I was one of them. And because I see this in some of you. I was one of them. I was a teenager who was into God. I loved being in the company of grown-ups who could teach me uh, more about Jesus. I can still remember in the spring of, I think it was 1985, I wasn't 12, I was 13, when a new minister arrived at our church. His name was David Searle, a guy from Scotland. I remember him having a bit of a perm, and we called him Wavy Davy. So... There he was, doing what I try to do here. Within a week or two, I knew that something very special had started to happen in my life. He was a great Bible teacher, so he used to teach us the Bible. And I was growing as a kid at that time. I was growing taller and broader. But my heart and my soul were outgrowing my body. I felt like every week when I was in church, wow, so this is who God is. This is who I am. And there's somebody has made it their life's calling to share that with me. What a privilege. I loved it. Now, don't get me wrong. Going to church wasn't the only thing in my life. I loved music. I loved sport. I loved, well, I was going to say I loved girls. I was getting interested in girls. Um, Just the normal stuff. But I was into God. And it felt the most normal thing in the world. So as I've said, I think it's possible 
for teenagers to be into God. I say that not only because I was one of them. I, it would be crazy for me to take all my life's experiences and suggest that they're normal. My life is not normal in a whole load of different ways. But the reason I'm confident that I'm not alone is because I see, I see you guys who are into God. I've seen your appetite. I've been keeping company with some of you recently in ways that have made a big impression on me and you, you maybe don't realize. I've heard you say things. I've seen you do things. So one of you recently told Claire, thank Christoph for Sunday. You know, for including the teenagers and what he was saying from the Bible, for splitting his sermon into bits to make it easier for us to follow. There's a young person who wants to get it, who's into God and wants help to, to, to understand him. I emailed one of the, the young people from our community after they'd led us in prayer in a service in the last few months. I emailed them and got a reply. Thanks, Christoph, for your kind words. It was a pleasure doing the prayer. Really enjoying Breakfast Club and the other ministry I'm involved at in the moment. I had a really encouraging night with you Breakfast Club guys when I was with you recently. Uh, in November, you'll remember you came around to our house for uh, supper and pizza. You had a chat with Claire and I. And we talked there about how we could make the church service more engaging to people of your age. Um, I haven't had a chance to do everything that we talked about that night. Do you remember you talked about spoken word? That sort of performance poetry stuff. I hope you enjoyed the one we got to show last week. Um, I enjoyed that. I thought it was brilliant. And I was really glad when you guys showed me what that stuff is. I shared with you that night how much this church has missed having teenagers in it. This church hasn't had teenagers in it for, not, not in any substantial numbers for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. And it's left a big hole in the life of our church. I've told you that we're not just trying to get you to join in with us to do the things that we do. That's, that's not where this is at. We want you to join in with us to become the new community that we need to become. We'd love you to help us to change. We're not happy with who we are. We, we long to grow as people and as a community into what God wants us to be. People of all ages who are into God. Let me share a highlight of that conversation we had together um, as I close. We were doing a bit of a question and answer time, if you remember, and somebody asked this question. How can I hear God? We talked about that for five or ten minutes, trying to begin to answer that huge question. But that question, how can I hear God? I can count on the toes of my right hand how many times a grown-up has asked me that in this church in 12 years. And you asked me it. Because you're trying to work it out, trying to work out what it means to be into God, to follow Jesus Christ, to grow in him. And I felt a lot like, like Mary and, and Joseph in, in this particular Bible story. I, I was astonished. And I think, I think some of the other leaders were too by the question and the conversation we had after it. Guys, don't 
don't ever imagine that the grown-ups in this church are spiritual giants and that you're lagging far behind us, trying hard to catch up. The truth is that we're all struggling, whatever age we are. And we need your encouragement every bit as much as you need ours. So we need to, we need to work together. In those times when you're ahead of us, we hope we'll have the, the grace to be open as you inspire us. But we hope as well to be able to lead you and encourage and inspire you. We want you to be saying what Ruby said to me the other day. Hurry up, mum and dad and Kirkpatrick church family. Come and run with Christ in, in as vigorous and vibrant a way as I am. Wouldn't it be great if everyone in this church family were into God? It's a simple short story of a time when a 12-year-old Jesus surprised his parents. He stayed behind in the temple because he wanted to learn more about God his Father. Maybe part of the reason that God gives us this story in his word is so that we won't be caught on the hop the same way that Mary and Joseph were. Whenever this happens in our families and in our church family, let's not be caught on the hop when our young people say to us, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Let's pray.